Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Hidden Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who would totally let Ben and Lewis get surgery if they asked us. Uh, I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian is uh, scoffing at my joke here. I'm trying my best, okay? Off the cuff. <laughs> I'm not scoffing, but just without context, it's such a weird thing to say. Like, I know what we're talking about this episode, and it still took me the amount of time that you saw me scoffing, about three seconds to connect the dots. And maybe that means I'm slow and our listeners will have gotten it quicker. But if you haven't gotten it yet, today we are covering all the off-season action in the Atlantic Division, which includes the Buffalo Sabres, which includes Jack Eichel. It's not funny if you have to explain it. Well, you you made a separate Twitter account at one point to explain the jokes I made on Twitter. Yeah, it was necessary. Yeah. Anyway, welcome everybody. It's nice to be with you. I'm Brian Kahn and with me is our host and intrepid leader, Ilan Dabrowski. And as you might have heard, over the last couple days, we have been breaking down all of the off-season movement that's happened during these crazy, crazy... It it was an amazing period of activity. One of the best I think we've had in a few years. My, My hopes are pretty down for what free agency would bring in the draft. And then boom, everything just exploded. It was like a huge domino effect, which was lovely. So yeah, everything that happened in expansion, in the entry draft, and in the free agent market, all the player movement that happened around it. We've talked about the Pacific. We've talked about the Metropolitan. And today we are talking about the Atlantic. Yeah, I'm excited to work through this division. A lot of cool things happened. Uh, before we get to it, of course, let's mention that we are presented proudly so by DauberHockey.com. They've already broken down all of these moves. If you like to read things, go to Dauber Hockey. You've got articles breaking down the fantasy impact of every single one of these transactions or acquisitions or whatever. And it's like, you know, well-written. I really like it. I always read every article at Dauber Hockey. I'm not even lying. It's a great site, DauberHockey.com. But with that, okay, Brian, so let's start in Florida. I'm going to try to, again, order by teams based on how interested I am in the moves they made. And obviously, we have to start in Florida because I think, you know, I mentioned in the last episode that uh, New Jersey got the biggest, like, prize in free agency getting Dougie Hamilton. But I've got to imagine Florida, at least as of now, like, Jack Eichel hasn't been traded yet. So I think Florida got the best return in a trade because they acquired Sam Reinhart from the Buffalo Sabres, who's, like, this really great player. And they got him for next to nothing. Like, I did an episode just recently with David Dwork, right, where we were talking about the Florida Panthers. It was basically just us both gushing over how good this team is. Like, the Florida Panthers came fourth in the league last year in points. Unfortunately, they had to face Tampa in the first round. They were off in the first round, but they got took them to six games. Like, that probably could have gone either way. And then, you know, Florida, like, the one player they've lost is Chris Driedger, which you know, could be bad considering he was their best goalie last year, but no big deal. Uh, Spencer Knight showed last year that he has the potential to be just as good as Drieger was in a tandem with Bobrovsky. Uh, Florida has gone ahead and re-signed or extended all of their standouts from last year. Carter Verhage, Sam Reinhardt, Anthony Duclair, Gustav Forsling, Brandon Montour. They're all coming back. They've also got all these young players, these exciting young players like Owen Tivitt played last year. We could expect him to maybe be better. Lundell 
Bell should be ready to play. Uh, Denisenko might make the team. Honestly, they, like some of these great players might not make the team just because of how stacked they are. Oh, Aaron Ekblad is healthy now. If you recall, he was injured at the end of last season. That's like one of the top defensemen in the league. And if that wasn't enough, like I said, they made this huge splash acquiring Sam Reinhart from the Sabres for like a 2022 first. So hopefully for Florida, this will be a very late pick uh, and it'll be very much worth it. They also sent a goalie, Devon Levy. So we'll see if we ever mention him on Keeping Carlson again. So let's break down this Reinhardt acquisition. He had 40 points in 54 games last season. That's a 61-point pace. Uh, and that's on the Sabres. And I know for a while, Reinhardt's been on the Sabres and has put up pretty good points. And you can say, oh, he's playing with Eichel. Like, of course, he's putting up good points. But like, note that at the end of last season, he had 14 points in his final 14 games when Eichel was injured, centering Olafsson and Skinner. And he was still putting up a point per game. So he doesn't necessarily need Eichel to produce. Uh, looking at David Dwork's projected lines from some tweet he made, which is totally like not official or anything, but just thinking about what the Panthers might do. But he had Reinhardt right on the right side of Barkov on the top line with Verhage because the Panthers seem fine for center, right? They don't need Reinhardt to play center because they've got uh, Sam Bennett who can center the second line. We saw how well Bennett did in that spot last year. So Brian, all that considered, oh, and the power play, right? Like I could imagine definitely a Barkov, Huberto, Reinhardt, uh, then Hornqvist or Bennett at the net front, Ekblad running at the QB. Like uh, that's a hot power play. Reinhardt's a big part of that. So yeah, how high should we be on Sam Reinhardt for next season? I know I'm normally like the guy who's a little reticent about overhyping guys in new situations, but I think there's an exception because Reinhardt is A, leaving Buffalo and B, going to the team that's known for making players better. It seems like everyone who leaves their team and goes to Florida has a breakout season. So how can we not just be so super stoked about Sam Reinhardt? Point per game, at least? There's a lot of reason to be super stoked about Sam Reinhardt to say at least point per game might be taking it a bit too far. But you're right. Usually when a guy leaves Buffalo, we leave ourselves very open to the possibility that there's a bump. We've seen players get a bump uh, leaving Buffalo and uh, the opposite of a bump, a crater. When they arrive in Buffalo, things just don't go well for players there over the last decade or so. And after last season's disaster, it's pretty impressive that Reinhardt as a Sabre managed to still contribute at a pace that made him fantasy relevant for almost the whole season. There were one or two pockets in there where it was like, do I bother holding this guy anymore? But he rewarded anybody who was able to uh, practice any reasonable amount of patience for him to succeed and come up. Reinhardt uh, thrived on the power play, especially with 16 power play points in 54 games, which is a 24 power play point pace in an 82 game season. And he got that pace thanks in large part to a whopping 10 power play goals in 54 games. It's tied for fifth in the whole NHL. Elon, it's actually a weird list to see the top power play goal scorers in the NHL last season. Do you want to take a crack and see if you can get any of the guys who ranked ahead of Sam Reinhart? Well, I guess I'd be a stupid idiot to guess Alex Ovechkin. Uh, well, I don't know if it makes you a stupid <laughs> idiot, but uh, it's not, Ovechkin's not there. Okay, I don't know, Connor McDavid? Obviously, it's not, I guess if you're saying it's a weird list, it means I'm probably not going to get it, so why don't you just tell me? I mean, I'm going to say these names, two of them you're going to be like, ah, oh, and two of them you're going to be like, ah? Oh. So I think the two that you would expect after I named them Dreisaitl and Joe Pavelski. Oh, I said McDavid, Joe- I should have just said Dreisaitl with Yeah, him. you were very close. Uh, and then TJ Oshie and Chris Kreider also ranking in the top four in power play goals last season. But Sam Reinhart right up there with with him for whatever that's worth based on that group of names. But I should mention that Sam Reinhardt did score those 10 power play goals on just 23 power play shots on goal. So he shot at a nearly 45% conversion rate. So that's why I'm not about to go absolutely crazy cuckoo for Sam Reinhardt, but I'm happy having him at 60 points. And the upside for point per game is there 
if Reinhardt plays Barkov's wing and on the power play for the majority of the season. He's not someone that I think I'm going to reach for and try and be super cool and be like, oh yeah, Sam Reinhardt is about to have this crazy breakout season. I'm going to take him before anyone because I'm smarter and I see it coming. No, but when I get to 60 point guys or somewhere thereabouts in my draft list, Reinhardt is going to be right around the top of that tier as someone who has the potential to really blow the doors off that number if things break well for him. Okay, that's fair. If he falls that far for you, and I guess you're saying you're happy for someone else to take him if they really want to reach. So, Brian, we're actually, you know, ranking players, as you know, with the patrons every single day. We just put William Nylander on the list today as number 54. Sam Reinhardt was in the running with Nylander, and some other players with votes are Philip Forsberg and Chris Letang. So maybe let's not consider Letang because it's apples and oranges, but Nylander, Forsberg, or Reinhardt, who would you pick first? I would go Nylander first because I think he also has more to show this year than he was able to last year. Uh, like he, I can see getting 70 points. He has similar upside to Sam Reinhardt. Sam Reinhardt's upside might actually be higher than Nylander's, but I have more confidence that Nylander is going to hit his or, 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 or hit a higher number as like the base expectation. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really just like, you go to Florida, you explode. But I guess all these, also there's like so many good players on this team that there's only so many points to go around. So maybe that would be a reason to maybe not be as high on Reinhardt. Like they can't all get 80 points. Can I throw something wild out there? Like I know, and like, it might not be in the direction you're thinking I'm going. It's about COVID, which I know we're so tired of talking about, but are we, are we at all worried about drafting players from a state like Florida where things are like completely out of control. Like they've done one of the worst jobs, it seems, uh, from as from a Canadian observer from afar, from what I've read, Florida doesn't seem to have uh, been doing a great job at controlling things. And so I worry if that's more likely to affect players in their lineup. This is like, I don't want to have to have these considerations for another season. So that's why I said it was something wild. And I don't know if you have any comments or not on whether this does take some value away from Panthers players because they're playing in one of the uh, least safe states. I don't know. Let's get Fauci on an episode and then we could ask him what he thinks about it. I, I don't know. No, it's a good point. Like, I don't know. Are they, are they vaccinated? Like, well, yeah. So that's the other piece here. So I, I needed, I, before, I, with my draft list, I need a column for double vaccinated. By okay. the way, if you haven't gotten your vaccine yet, I'm just going to gently encourage you to go do so. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Okay. So I guess that's Florida. Let's go to Boston. Now, Brian, what's your sense of Boston's COVID uh, risk? Oh, I, I, I feel like the Northeastern U.S. is doing... I don't want to talk. That's crazy. Okay, I don't, don't lull me into this. I actually wanted to see in Florida a little bit longer. Oh. And I'm not, I hope to not bring up COVID anymore today or really ever. Uh, but in Florida, Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast recently mentioned that Spencer Knight is going to be the starter. What do you think of that? Is he the coach? No, but he's a guy who seems to know what is happening on every team in the NHL. What does that even mean? He might know what the coach is thinking. He might know what the organization's plans are. Okay, good to know. We'll see. I, I, I talked to, if you listen to my interview with David Dwork, right, like, we talked, obviously, about that, and what's the, and he said, like, yes, Spencer Knight's really good, like, Bobrovsky struggled, uh, the Panthers, I believe David specifically said he's hoping, you know, the Panthers are hoping they could go, like, 50-50, because that's how you'd be successful, and obviously, if they become, like, really important games down the stretch, where they just need to win, then, obviously, they're going to go with the goalie that's playing better and gives them the best chance to win, but I don't think even Quenville knows, like, who's the starter, like, what does that even mean, the starter? 
starter in today's NHL. He's, it's not Vasilevsky. It's not as if Spencer Knight's going to get every... Like, I think that... Well, let's see who starts on opening night. But I don't think that Elliot Friedman knows this. Unless he's cited. If he says, hey, I was just talking to... Qu-. Like, do you really... Is there anyone aside from the coach or maybe the GM who you have any interest in their opinion about who's going to be the starter beyond just, like, us on a podcast, I guess? Yeah. Elliot freaking Friedman. This guy knows things. And to be honest, I didn't listen to it firsthand, so I'm not sure what he did source or where... Like, Why are you bringing it up then? Well, because he said it. No, I mean, I also probably think that Spencer Knight's going to be the starter so, at some point. But uh, okay. that's... It's like, uh, or maybe even to start, like, I think he's a really good goalie. I just don't know why, if Elliot Friedman says it, it makes it any more true. But uh, yeah, no, definitely grab Spencer Knight. Hey, Brian, as we go through, we're going to talk about some goalies. I'm going to be Spencer Knight versus that guy for every single goalie. So it's definitely oh, I, coming I can't handy. wait. And I'm going to say, if what Elliot Friedman said was true, then... Okay, okay, perfect. So let's go, let's go to Boston now. So obviously their biggest move was to extend Taylor Hall for four years at $6 million per year. So this is a guy who had a rough year last year uh, for most of it, in Buffalo especially, 19 points in 37 games. But then he went to Boston, had a great end to the season, 14 points in 16 games, playing on the second line with Krejci and Craig Smith for the most part. Uh, in the playoffs, not as productive, only five points in 11 games. So all that rounds together to a 51-point pace overall in the regular season. He had a 66-point pace the year before with Arizona and New Jersey. So Hall's been around the block a bit, but now we've got four years, probably, of him staying in Boston. Uh, so I guess now one big change already that's going to happen for Taylor Hall is that David Krejci just announced that he's going back to the Czech Republic, so he's not going to be centering uh, Taylor Hall. We're going to talk soon about some of the options they brought in that will maybe take over. The Fluto Shinzawa mentioned that maybe it might just be time for Jack Studnika to jump in as a second-line center with Hall and Craig Smith. Uh, but in the meantime, I guess let's just... Uh, close the book on Taylor Hall here. What kind of production are we expecting from this guy? I, to me, like I see him like probably a 60 point guy. Like he's going to be a second liner. Uh, maybe he gets top power play. Maybe not last year. He wasn't even getting top power play while he was there. And they definitely have other options that maybe fit a role. That's like a net front thing. Cause they already have obviously Marshawn Pasternak and Bergeron. So maybe you get put Nick Felino in front of the net on the top power player or something. So yeah, I think, I don't know. To me, 60 points is probably where I'm going to be drafting Taylor Hall. Actually, maybe an interesting question for you to answer as part of your answer is Sam Reinhardt or Taylor Hall. I'd go Reinhardt. I was going to ask you that, but you asked me first. So I'll try and answer it after I tell you what I think about Taylor Hall in Boston, which is actually, I, I don't love it for Taylor Hall, who last year, we remember how starry-eyed and surprised we all were when he signed that one-year show-me contract with Buffalo. It seems like a world of time ago, right? We thought he'd make beautiful music with Jack Eichel. A year later, they're both gone. So is Sam Reinhardt. There's this whiplash in Buffalo, but the move was like pretty WTF at the time when Taylor Hall signed in Buffalo. And so I guess it's not so surprising that that was not a, a long-term relationship meant to be. It's just how badly it went is still the surprising part. It's a bummer for Taylor Hall that he didn't cash in the way he probably could have last year on a long-term contract um, or even get a better deal than he did with Boston this year. Although I think maybe he traded off uh, some cash for some organizational function, which he hasn't really been around a whole lot. Think of the franchises he's played for. Edmonton, Arizona, Buffalo, New Jersey's in there. I, th- I think they run well, but those other three have big strikes against them over the last decade or so. Anyway, so this deal for Taylor Hall, definitely like you were saying, Elon, seems to put a ceiling on his production for the next short while, especially for as long as Brad Marchand is this top line player. Hall is going to be a secondary scorer with hopefully, hopefully a role on the top power play. And he also doesn't have an established centerman anymore, right? Now that David Krejci is off to the Czech Republic, but apparently Boston 
is still shopping. That's what I've read. Not from Elliot Friedman, not secondhand. I can't remember where I said, oh, it might actually be from Elliot Friedman secondhand. Sorry. But Boston is still shopping. They have $1 million in cap space. So I'm not sure Ooh. exactly what the move is. Uh, but yeah, I'd have Taylor Hall in the 60 point neighborhood. And I would think he, I would take the over if I had to in trying to figure out exactly where his value lies. And I think, I think I would still take Taylor Hall over Sam Reinhart. Even though I could see, I see you nodding your head and your turn to scoff. I could easily see Reinhardt outscoring Taylor Hall. And maybe this is a bad strategy thing of mine. I just feel safer with Taylor Hall, especially with Sam Reinhardt moving to a new team. And remember, Duclair is still, he got re-signed in Florida. We, we just skipped right past him, or we talked about him a couple weeks ago. But he's someone else who could play on Barkov's wing in the spot that you're expecting to see Reinhardt. So I, I don't know. Just saying, I, I know what to expect from Taylor Hall. Sam Reinhart will probably do the same and has a better chance to do better. So maybe this is foolish. I Catch me on draft day. I think I'd probably take Reinhart first now that I'm really <laughs> working it out of my brain. But I could see an argument for taking Taylor Hall as having the safer floor. Yeah, I don't think he does. Uh, I think that Sam Reinhardt's already established himself as a 60-point guy. Plus, we're talking about a guy that's probably going to be playing with Barkov or Huberdeau and very, very likely on the top power play as opposed to someone maybe being centered by Jack Studnika or whoever Boston could get for this million dollars and likely not playing on the top power yeah. play. So, uh, yeah, without a center and off the top power play for sure. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping that Boston makes room for Taylor Hall on the top power play because how do you not? And they did it, last year they didn't and they did pretty well. Okay. Yeah. Good point. It wasn't for the whole season. Of course. Yeah. And I'm still waiting to see if they pull in a center. So I think it's too early to make that full decision. But as things stand now, it's a power play to Taylor Hall and Jack Studenica is his center. Although don't forget Eric Hall is in there too. Who I'll yeah, we'll, just... I will mention them in a sec. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I guess also, like, for me, anyways, like, I'm going to project Reinhardt right now off the top of my head. 70 point Reinhardt, 60 point Hall. That's what I've got. Uh, let's talk about some other acquisitions. So you brought up, we could do it now. So Eric Halla, Nick Felino, Thomas Nozex. They've brought in some depth guys, which is good for Boston, right? You know, you need to have a bottom six. Uh, my guess is, you know, that, you know, second line is going to be Hall with Craig Smith and, and someone centering it. If it's not Studnika, maybe it could be Eric Halla. I, I feel like my gut is that Eric Halla is a third line center, not a second line center. Like, not that Studnika is maybe much better. Either way, maybe not much difference. There's also obviously still Charlie Coyle in the mix who could maybe jump up to center the second line. Uh, Felino, I could see him potentially getting a top power play spot. Maybe he's the new Nick Ritchie, but uh, he hasn't paced for more than 40 points in any of the previous four seasons. So hard to get too excited about Felino. Uh, do you want any quick comments? Comments about Felino, Hala, or Nozek before we uh, switch to the goalies? Yeah, I'll go through them quickly. So Felino, 35-point guy before coming to Boston. I don't see uh, things turning out much differently here for him in Boston's mid-six, even if he does get a power play one turn ahead of Hall, uh, because he does have that established net front roll in a 1-3-1. I still don't think he's going to be worth more than 40 points. Still might give you lots of hits and decent blocks for a forward, but beyond that peripheral value, I don't see much worth thinking about in Nick Felino beyond streaming. Eric Haula, man, I remember this amazing season he had with Vegas, and I bought in on it. To the next season, I was like, yeah, he can do it again, even though, um, well, not an even though, actually, I just thought he could. His season, I was going to say, even though his really great season was powered by picking up 18 power play points on Vegas's 1B power play unit when they split their units in that first year. Um, you know, he hasn't seen that role again since. He's never had a chance to really match 
those totals from his first year in Vegas. So it's been really disappointing to watch Holland not get those opportunities and fall back down to being a 40 point guy, barely shoots. He's on his fifth team in four years and his five on five scoring in Nashville just cratered last season. So I'm looking at Holland Boston and wondering, is there any room to hope here for Eric Holla? Uh, and I'm looking in Vegas. Okay. Who did he play with? He played with James Neal and David Perron. So maybe Taylor Hall could be uh, Eric Holla's David Perron and could Craig Smith be his James Neal? I don't know. I'm not getting my hopes up, but I am trying to mentally prepare myself for the possibility that Holla is a second line center and might be up to the task. As for Tomasz Nosek, he's one of those third liners in Vegas last season who were producing like mad along with uh, Nicholas Roy and Keegan Kolasar. They were just putting up points down the stretch with no real reason to believe it would continue, but also no real reason to believe it would stop. So we'll see where Nosek slots in. If he's in the top six role, I'd be curious to see if he can be relevant, but I'm not sure that's where he's going to fit in Boston. So between the three, Nosek, Felino and Haula, I see very little fantasy value, but a little bit of upside. Right. Yeah, I definitely do not think that Thomas Nozak is going to be slotting in in the top six. I don't think you have to worry about that. And Haula, yeah, unfortunately for him, he had a lot of injury trouble after that really great season. I think maybe he could have kept up what he was doing, but, you know, it, it hurts to be injured, I'd imagine, not only physically, but also the fact that maybe he's a little slower. Now he's a little older, so it's hard to imagine him getting back to that, what was it, 55 points in 76 games with Vegas back in 2017-18. What a year for the Vegas Golden Knights and Eric Haula. All right, let's go into the net Brian, remember how someone on Discord was calling me out for I was saying nets too much? And I was like, let's look in nets. Apparently you're not supposed to say that. You just say, let's look in net. I never yeah, knew. It's very, it's very street hockey of you to say who's in nets. Yeah, I've been saying my whole life. So I got to unlearn this. Uh, yeah, so Boston, obviously, Tuka Rask is injured. He's going to have hip surgery, or I guess he's already had the hip surgery maybe by now. I'm not sure. But, like, he's expected to be gone until at least January or February. And, you know, who knows uh, what he'll be like when he gets back. If he comes back, there could be complications. So, obviously, Boston had to make other arrangements. Uh, they have Jeremy Swayman, who was so great at the end of last year. They decided not enough. They didn't want to go with Dan Vladar. They sent him, I believe, to Calgary. Is it? Uh, so, yeah, we talked about that yes. in the last episode. Uh, so they signed Linus Allmark to a pretty long-term contract. Four years, $5 million per year. I didn't know, or I didn't expect that Boston would do that just because it looked like Swayman was so good. But why not just have this insurance? And Allmark, he's been really good when he plays. Like He had a 9.15 save percentage in 34 games in 2019-20, a 9.17 save percentage in 20 games last year. And this is on the Buffalo Sabres, right? So you should probably bump that up, like 0.05 save percentage points if he was on any other team, I'd imagine. But unfortunately, he's missed like, so much time with groin injuries hopefully he'll be 100% going into next year uh, assuming he is Brian what do you think about this Allmark Swayman tandem is this going to be the new Raskin Halak which were one of the best tandems in the league uh, and then obviously the other question is like who do you think is going to get more starts here it's like on one hand I feel like Swayman like how can you not keep riding him the way he was playing but on the other hand you're paying Allmark a lot of money not to be a backup the Bruins are paying Allmark a lot of money which really caught me by surprise like Allmark is fine he seems to be yeah. You know, average goalie in the NHL from his body of work so far, but paying him $5 million for four years, that seems like it could end up being rich, if he, especially if he doesn't play up to it. And especially when Swayman and Vladar might not have been that far off. They both looked like, hey, maybe they could handle a well, workload. No. Vladar was brutal in the yeah. games he played. I'm not sure yeah. about that. Well, far. I mean, there was talk for a couple of years leading up. So yeah, maybe in, in what he actually played, but 
he was supposed to be someone who could take on some NHL action, even though he never really got the chance to to find his stride with the Bruins. Yeah, when I talked to Fluto, he said like, "There's no way the Bruins. It's like this is the last year of Bergeron's contract. Their window yeah. is closing. Like they're not going to risk it on Swayman and Vladar." Exactly, and that makes total sense. But is Allmark the one to right. be unrisky with? And also. I, I guess that's what the market called for, $5 million for four years. I do have my concerns, and I've shared them a lot in our Discord community. Whenever someone asks a keeper question about the Bruins or the Bruins goalies, it's like, hey, Bergeron and Marchand are entering the twilight of the careers. Uh, Boston is going for it. But before long, you're going to be in trouble uh, having a Boston goalie on your team in all likelihood, unless they can just pull bargain bin Taylor Halls out of free agency uh, repeatedly over the next few years. So in a cap league, that makes me hesitant to jump at Allmark. But in a one year, I'd be happy to grab that Boston tandem. I could see Allmark and Swayman battling for a spot through the year and sharing time being the status quo arrangement, unless one proves to be either really unreliable or really outstanding with their play. So when you say kind of like Raskalak, I mean, Allmark and Swayman have not earned the reputations that Raskin and Halak had, but I could certainly see a, a, a similar dynamic where they know the net is going to be shared. And both those guys had some good runs and some bad runs that didn't really disrupt the 50-50 share. So I think it's probably going to be a 50-50 share with enough leeway for goalies to perform one way or the other, unless, like I said, something remarkable happens with either of their play in either direction. Yeah, I think that this is a pretty decent tandem to draft if you're going to draft the tandem because like Allmark might get injured, in which case you just have Swayman and you can stash Allmark in your IR. Or if Allmark's healthy, I feel like they're probably going to want to play him more than Swayman since they signed to this contract and Swayman's still young and learning. And eventually Swayman could even be AHL bound if Rask is healthy and able to come back and signs a contract with them. Uh, so I guess we'll see what happens. So Brian, I guess I got to ask you, Spencer Knight or Linus Allmark, who would you take between the two? I think I'll go Spencer Knight, especially yeah. if uh, now I'm not going to go back to the Elliot Friedman well. But yeah, I would go Spencer Knight. And I, but I do like what you said about Allmark and Swayman maybe being a good value tandem because neither one has huge name value recognition or really proven track record. So that's a tandem you might be able to pick up pretty late in your draft. Yeah, I think that uh, Boston's still going to be a good team next year, as yeah. long as they've got Bergeron. And, like, you say, like, Bergeron and Marchand are on the twilight of their careers, which, like, makes sense considering their ages, but it doesn't seem true based on their production. Like, they seem to be playing just as well as ever, so who knows how much longer they can go. Maybe they will extend Bergeron, depending on how he's feeling. Uh, I remember uh, Fluto Shinzawa, in my interview with him, he was saying how he thinks after this year, it'll probably be, like, one-year contracts for Bergeron until he decides he wants to hang it up. Uh, I guess one last thing about the Bruins, they signed Mike Riley to a three-year, $3 million per year contract, so he's someone who they acquired at the trade deadline last year uh, had 19 assists in 40 games with ottawa and then eight assists in 15 games with boston no goals in any of those games but he actually took 98 shots last year so it's not as if he was like not shooting at all maybe he even deserved a, a goal or two throughout the entire season but yeah 40 point pace so a career year for this 28 year old uh, earning him this nice contract extension i wonder if he'll be able to maintain this pace next season like again from my interview with fluto shinzawa he said we can expect mcavoy finally this year to hold 
hold the power play one job going into next season after the insane playoffs that he had. And for people who didn't listen, uh, McAvoy had eight power play points in 11 games during the playoffs. It would be crazy for Coach Cassidy to not just keep rolling McAvoy on the top power play. If you put Grizzlick back there because he's like left-handed or whatever, the uh, like don't even try it, okay? It's McAvoy's job now. But that means that I guess if we had to pick the second best Bruin defenseman to draft, I guess it would be between Mike Riley and Matt Grizzlick. Probably this is like a silly question because in most leagues, you're not going to draft either of these guys. But I think I'd take Riley over Grizzlick. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think I would also take Riley over Grizzlick, unless you're thinking, well, maybe there still is a chance Grizzlick gets up to power play one. But after last year, I would love to have some certainty in Boston to know who we can expect to quarterback that top unit most of the year. And the fact that Fluto said McAvoy makes me feel good about it being Charlie McAvoy. So that makes Mike Riley, maybe he can be the McAvoy in the McAvoy Krug combo where, you know, while McAvoy becomes the Krug and steps up to be something bigger than what he's been, Riley can be this 35, 40 point player with uh, minimal peripheral contributions, but doesn't make him that valuable in fancy unless you're looking for a pretty deep depth defenseman. Yeah, I guess he's probably not someone you draft, but he's probably going to be the type of player that's going to get streamed in and out of lineups whenever Boston has a good schedule and people need D. All right, so Brian, next we're going to go to the team that formerly had Sam Reinhart and Linus Allmark and now has kind of no one. And so we'll get to the Buffalo Sabres in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Okay, we are back. And like I said, Brian, we're going to talk about what Buffalo did. And it's a lot of loss and not much gain. So I'm definitely worried about this team for next year. So first of all, we've got these Jack Eichel trade rumors. Who knows? By the time we release this episode, we're recording this Monday night. And we still haven't released the Metropolitan Division episode at the time of this recording. So I guess it's still a couple of days. So who knows if Eichel will be traded by the time we release this. But as of now, he's still on the team. We'll see if he starts next year. Uh, so they've traded Sam Reinhart to Florida. They traded Rasmus Ristolainen to Philly for Robert Hag uh, 2021 first who turned into Isaac Rosen at 11th overall uh then as far as players coming in to replace these big losses we've got uh, Will Butcher coming from New Jersey so I don't know maybe Butcher and Ristolainen actually aren't that far apart obviously in fantasy they're far apart because Risto has all the peripherals but I don't, I don't even know if it's worth having a discussion of Butcher versus Ristolainen get those cards up by Joe Fresh it's not Joe Fresh Jay Fresh the guy on Twitter who has all these great uh, cards, like breaking down the players. I'd like to see Will Butcher versus Risto. Uh, they've signed Drake Kajula and Vinny Hinestroza. So classic random Buffalo people that we're never going to mention on the podcast. And they're going to be like somehow on the top line once in a while. Uh, they've drafted Owen Power first overall. So that's obviously a, a big name. Power had 16 points in 26 games at the University of Michigan last year. I read that he may not play next year. So at some point, we're going to do an episode breaking down the draft and we'll ask like if Power is someone who can step in right away. It's pretty rare for a first overall pick, especially in today's NHL to like not come in and play the very first season, but he might be the first one in a while. Uh, so who do we have left on this team is maybe the better question. So their leading scorers from last year that are still on the team are Victor Olafson, who had 32 points in 56 games for a 47 point pace and you know i i think olafson's a fine player but i don't think he's like a play driver i think he's the type of guy that needs to play with someone who can dish him the puck and the best option might be casey middlestat who's the next highest scoring guy left on the team he had 22 points in 41 games but a really strong finish so 10 points in his final 14 games they've of course still got rasmus dalin who had a huge step down last year unfortunately 23 points in 56 games after he was pacing for 56 points in his sophomore season so, okay, all that said, Brian, obviously we'll see if Eichel starts the season with the team or not. And obviously we'll see what the return is for Eichel if they trade him, because obviously maybe that person will hopefully be a really good player, if not a few. Uh, but Brian, who's the first player you're picking from the Sabres if you're going into a draft and, you know, not including Eichel? 
I don't like we're draft we're rankings you know all the players with the patrons like I've said Eichel's obviously been long ranked but I don't know when the next saver is going to get on this list it could be a really long while. I will take Rasmus Dahlin as my first Sabre pick for hopefully some power play points. And then maybe I'd add Olofsson several rounds later in the draft. And then Middlestat would be an even later flyer to take. But I might give Dahlin a chance just because I forgive him for last season. There were a lot of things out of his control and things seemed to be a total mess under Ralph Kruger. And things uh, the ship seemed to sort of write with their new coach, Don Granado. So I'm hoping there's enough stability for Darlene to put up respectable numbers. But then I was like, okay, Buffalo is tanking really, really hard. Uh, they tanked this hard maybe about eight, nine, ten years ago. So I went actually back to those rosters to see who the highest scoring sabers were in those years. So going back like farthest away, you've got, you had Cody Hodgson with 44 points, Tyler Ennis 43, Christian Ehrhoff with 33. The next season, Ennis with 46, Gianta with 41, Ristolainen with 20 points. And then the next year was the year that they had Eichel with 56, O'Reilly with 60, and Ristolainen with 41 points. So I honestly don't even know as high as Darlene's upside is. I think on a good team, he's a 60-plus point defenseman, maybe someone who can even touch 70 on this Buffalo team. I have no idea how many points are going to be available to him. And so I feel like 45 points, maybe 50. Like how high do you think Rasmus Dahlin can go this season? Last season, he pays for less than 40, right? So if you're, we're talking 45, 50, yes, that would but I'm already... Also, yeah. I'm also writing off three quarters of the season when like, you know, that crazy losing streak, the whole, like the Sabres were barely present. No, I understand. Night in, night out. So like, I want to forget three quarters of that. Like the, the, the player personnel is worse but I think there's probably enough stability outside of that to help make things a little more productive. Okay. Well, as of now, I think I'd probably project Darlene for 40, 45 points and yeah, not a, okay. not a point higher. So, but, so we're yeah. in the same spot. Okay. All right. So uh, speaking of this Buffalo tank, we haven't even gotten to the worst part maybe, which is in net nuts, uh, where they've lost Lena Salmark to UFA to Buffalo. They lost Carter Hutton to like who cares about that anyways i can't even believe someone signed carter hutton no 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 offense but okay listen to these two goalies that are on buffalo's team for next year uh they signed aaron dell and craig anderson like is this really their tandem for next year okay aaron dell played seven games last year for new jersey this was a team where mackenzie blackwood like got injured at one point like you know like there was a lot of other goalies playing ahead of aaron dell and he still couldn't get starts over like scott wedgwood i feel like there's probably some other name i could throw out there that was getting more starts than aaron dell so anyways in the seven games he did play he had an 857 save percentage so that's probably the reason why he couldn't get more starts okay then we have craig anderson who actually like yeah he only played four games last year so even less than arendelle he was good in those games 915 save percentage he actually had two impressive playoff games for washington before they got eliminated but he is 40 years old and i can't like that would be awesome i'd love to see like craig anderson have a final great season hey we just saw mike smith do it in edmonton so who knows but man i guess maybe now's the time for uko pekka lukanen to become a full-timer 22 years of age he played four games with buffalo last year at the end of the season uh didn't do that great he had a 908 save percentage in 13 games in liga he had an 888 save percentage in 14 games with rochester so uko pekka was all over the place last year which makes sense so 
Yeah, like this team might have the worst goaltending in the league, except for Arizona, which is where I believe Carter Hutton went. (laughs) But we'll get to them later. I have like this funny idea in my head that Buffalo and Arizona got into a bidding war for Carter Hutton and Arizona won. And they like they both wanted a goalie who made them look respectable and like who was a pro but was going to still let them reach their goal of tanking and that that upped his value and buffalo finals like okay what you're paying him arizona that's too rich for us we're gonna uh, go Brian, get- I, I think there's one thing that makes that story unlikely which is that i think carter hutton signed for the league minimum 750k <laughs> so i don't know what kind of bidding war this <laughs> okay, was all right uh, maybe maybe bigger bonuses potentially yeah just definitely questionable um it's crazy you know that one team that wants to tank did not sign Carter Hutton. Another team that wants to tank did. Clearly they have their, their tank rankings, just a little different. Uh, but you're asking about the, the Buffalo net. Yeah. Uh, I think Adam in the chat is asking sarcastically, Spencer Knight or Dallin Anderson, uh, Spencer Knight, just in case it's not sarcastic. Like as for Uko Pekalukunen, do do you want him playing in Buffalo this year? It'd be kind of reminiscent. I don't know if you remember Fleury's first seasons after the lockout in, I think it was 2004 when Pittsburgh was still just a disaster, but at least Fleury had Crosby and then he had Crosby and Malkin the next season. Uh, Lukanen will not have players like Crosby or Malkin. Uh, I guess we'll see what the Eichel return is, but I don't think it'll be that. I don't know where Lukanen is going to best develop. My guess is that it's not with the NHL Buffalo Sabres this year. Uh, I hope Buffalo knows what's best for his development path. I'm guessing that Lukanen doesn't get handed the reins unless Dell and Anderson are totally incapable, which is possible. Likely. It's it's likely. (laughs) It's it's actually likely. So if Lukanen comes in and plays poorly, I don't think he just keeps getting tossed in there behind this Sabres team night after night. If he plays well enough to just hold up, Sure, but I I just don't know how likely that is. So I think the moral of the story here is that I want the Sabres goalies even less than I want the Sharks goalies that we talked about on the Pacific episode. Right, and let's remind people who the Sharks (laughs) they are: are. Aiden Hill and James Reimer. And Aiden Hill seems to have the inside track to be the starter. By the way, yeah. So is this according to Elliot Friedman? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. This is according to the guy who summarized the Elliot Friedman (laughs) podcast for me. I love the research. Uh, Yeah, well, at least these two Sharks goalies are like NHL goaltenders who played some games last year, unlike Aaron Dell and Craig Anderson. And by the way, all due respect to Craig Anderson, and he would be the guy I would take if I needed a Buffalo goalie at this point. Uh, So make of that what you will. Let's go to Detroit. I can't get over this goal, this Buffalo goalie thing, Brian. Like, remember, like a couple years ago when uh, Columbus like let Bobrovsky walk for free agency, and they didn't go after a goalie, and they yeah. were like just going to run with Corpusalo and Merzlikens. We were like, are they really going to run with Corpusalo and Merzlikens? <laughs> like, isn't that like kind of risky? Like to have these two goalies that have never been a starter. That like Buffalo's like blowing that out of the water. Two goalies that barely played last year. I would love someone to add us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson with a worse tandem, or if you're a patron in our discord server i am wondering if this is the worst tandem we've like ever seen well yeah until we get to our next episode when we talk about joseph kajanash and carter hutton <laughs> yeah on arizona well i mean carter yeah i we, we can debate the merits of that but i don't know how entertaining it would be before we move on from buffalo julien in the chat asked if rasmus salim could be a lesser roman yosi remember yosi had a good season in nashville when everybody else didn't because he was just the entire team's offense. And my answer to that is, I don't think so. Because Nashville had some supporting cast there. Buffalo does not. 
yeah, Nashville had like Forsberg and Johansson and Duchesne and you know like Granlund, like not the worst players, even though they weren't producing. Like maybe we hoped they would. I think Forsberg was injured in that year for a lot yeah. of it. Okay, uh, let's go to Detroit. So Steve Eiserman, very active. I think pretty successful this offseason, as he often is. Maybe Detroit's finally gonna not be like one of the worst teams in the league. I guess we'll see. Maybe they'll just wait one more year before that becomes official. But yeah, so we already talked back on episode three forty nine about the Nick Letty acquisition, which may not have much fancy relevance as we concluded, but I think it helps the team, right? You get Nick Letty basically for free. I think they uh, dumped a contract or something to make that happen. Uh, plus, we learned from Prashanth Iyer in my interview with him that Moritz Sider should be ready to go. So there's a nice boost for the D right there, getting Letty and Moritz Sider coming up. Uh, they obviously lost Dennis Chalowski to Seattle, but he barely played last year, so I don't think that's a big loss. Uh, then they signed Pew Suter uh, to center the second line. Two years, $3.25 million per year contract. So here's some projected lines that Prashant threw out at some point, or someone I saw on Twitter threw out. But like, uh, maybe you could have Larkin with Bertuzzi and Robbie Fabry. By the way, Tyler Bertuzzi signed a contract, and he's like apparently healthy, so that'll be great. And we saw that Larkin and Bertuzzi could play well. And if that happens, then that would leave uh, Pew Suter to play with Jacob Verana and Philip Zadina. So, like, not terrible line mates for Suter. Plus, they've got Joe Valeno and maybe Lucas Raymond, who might be ready to make the jump to become full-time NHLers next year. So, all of a sudden, potentially a not terrible top nine. Like, I don't want to be, like, too effusive with my praise. Like, I'm not, we're not talking about, like, huge superstars here, but I think, like, decent enough players. So, what do you think, Brian? I guess let's focus on Pew Suter. He had 27 points in 55 games in his rookie season as a 24-year-old, 40-point pace. Think there's room for any more upside this season? Or do you think that 40-point pace is probably what we should expect for next year as well? A 40-point pace for Pew Suter as a 24-year-old rookie? Sure, not bad, and I'm up for seeing more. Mind you, Suter played most often with Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit in Chicago last year. So while you mentioned, uh, you know, in Detroit, Rana and Zadina, sure, are decent as potential line mates for Suter, but they're a step down from Kane and Dabrinkit. So Suter could be relevant, but I'm not sure that the 2C in Detroit is ready for relevance yet, especially if it's not someone who's proven it before. I imagine Suter starting off the season as more of a streamer type if you're searching for a point, and he'll stay that way until we see more from him on the score sheet, which I'm open to. Playing with Verona and Sedina sounds pretty good. That'd be really nice for him, but uh, being anything beyond, say, a 50-point forward would surprise me. Unless we see some really great things from him in the first two, three weeks of the season. I'm keeping a very open mind for him, but just based on what we've seen so far, I'm not getting so excited that he's anywhere really notable on my draft lists. Yeah, I think that's fair. I probably won't be drafting him, but he'll be someone on my watch list to start the season. I'm curious to see how he'll do in this new situation where, yeah, like he won't have as good line mates as he had at times in Chicago, but maybe he gets a larger role, gets more minutes. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, some other moves by Eisman, you know, a lot of like on exciting but still like necessary moves we brought like jordan osterley extended michael rasmussen and mark stahl and then of course they did one thing which i really liked which i ranted about in the last episode so the main beneficiaries of this improved depth on this detroit red wings team will be their goalies including alex Mijelkovic, who they got for a song from carolina this is a guy who had a 932 save percentage in 23 games with the canes last year calder finalist and they got him for free and then they signed him to a two-year contract he's going to be in a tandem with thomas grice who has a year left on his contract and grice had this weird year last year it was brutal to start the season then was like a top goalie in the league at the tail 
tail end of the year. 962 save percentage in his final seven games. He couldn't let in a goal. So now we'll see next year how this tandem of Grice and Nedeljkovic will do. I guess this is obviously a theme of not only this episode, but probably most of the league. Just teams with tandems where it's very hard to predict who's going to get more games. That's going to make our Schmore Goalies episode uh, quite interesting when we do it in a month or so. Uh, so, Brian, at this point, do you see this as I do as like a tandem or do you see like is there an obvious option to you of someone who's going to run away with the job I see this as clearly a 50-50 unless someone you know struggles Nadelkovic and Grace sure looks like a tandem to me I imagine Detroit uses Grace maybe as a buffer at first if needed while they take the year to see what Nadelkovic can offer you know in two ways whether they want to consider Nadelkovic longer term and who they're going to need as their second goalie like what they need to budget for next season based on what Nadalkovic can do. Uh, so I, I think it's a tandem. I think Nadalkovic has a leg up on Grice because he could be the starter for years to come in Detroit if he looks really good. So I, this is uh, like more so than Boston. I could see this being a 60-40 split rather than a 50-50, but there's also a, probably a greater chance it's a 50-50 split than it is a 60-40. Yeah, and obviously it'll depend on how these goalies do. I really hope that Nadjelkovic does well, just to rub it in Carolina's face, because I don't like the moves they made last past summer. Let's go next to Montreal, where unfortunately uh, for them, though I don't want to say unfortunately for them because it's off their own making, but like most of the headlines for the Habs haven't necessarily been about their on-ice team for next year. It's been controversial things like drafting Logan Mayu, which obviously we at Keeping Carlson are not huge fans of. I don't know if, Brian, you want to comment on that. I'll, I'll let you uh, speak on it if you want in, in I mean, what, what is there really to say? I mean, anyway, uh, there was also all that drama with Carey Price being unprotected for Seattle and then the news of him potentially being injured. I don't even know. Did we get an update on that? Is Carey Price like uh, playing next year or not? I think he's not. It's not going to be as bad as it threatened to be for the two or three day period that he was up for uh, up for grabs in the expansion draft because he was unprotected. Right. Okay. And then there's obviously this whole Shea Weber thing where he might be done for his career. So that's a lot of like, well, this is obviously very fantasy relevant that Shea Weber's not going to be there. But like the Habs actually have also been kind of busy in UFA, right? So they lost Phil Deneau to the Kings. Uh, they don't seem to be in a rush to sign Tatar. So I guess uh, that's obviously two big losses. So I guess Tatar is not such a big loss considering they were benching him in the playoffs. Uh, then they also brought in, uh, I guess, a hired gun. They got Mike Hoffman. Three years, 4.5 million AAV. Brian, I think I was like away that day when that signing happened. Like I, I sort of knew about it when I was going to prep about the Habs right now and I was looking through all their transactions. I was like, oh yeah, they signed Hoffman. Okay, so Hoffman was a goal-scoring machine in Florida. He pays for 70 points in each of his two seasons there but then like Dadanov, he didn't see as much success once he left the sunshine state so hoffman had 17 goals and 36 points in st louis last season still not bad actually a 33 goal 57 point pace and this was with limited deployment like at times he was like line three second power play that's actually for most of the season he only averaged around 15 minutes of ice time and now he goes to montreal where it's pretty hard to project like i have no idea where my coffin's gonna slot in like if you if the playoffs are an indication maybe they keep to foley suzuki and caulfield together and i guess that would leave a uh, cockney to center the second line with gallagher and hoffman though josh anderson is also there so maybe one of these wingers is gonna have to fall out of the top six so Ryan, what do you think about mike hoffman at this point uh can he still be at least a 30 goal like 55 point guy on the habs next year like he was in st louis i'd imagine it's probably too much to expect those florida numbers again right it's definitely too much to expect those Florida numbers again from Mike Hoffman. It was even, honestly, unreasonable to expect the numbers that he put up in St. Louis for a large part of the season. Uh, like you said, he ended up with that 30-goal, 55-point pace, but Mike Hoffman was just on a 20-goal pace through the first two months of the season in 33 games. 
But Hoffman finished with nine goals in 19 games to rescue his year and probably add at least a few hundred thousand or another year to the current contract he just signed with Montreal. And six of those nine goals in those last 19 games came on the power play. Hoffman had just one power play goal before that. So he was completely irrelevant for most of the season until that last final stretch where he really took off and also picked up like no assists during Uh, for the season as a whole Hoffman was just less dangerous at five on five it felt like he and St. Louis weren't a match and we'll see if it's any different in Montreal you know you still have that ceiling when you're playing in Montreal as being a 55 point player that that puts you on the high end of what you can expect any hab to produce so you could hope for Hoffman to be a hired gun on your fantasy team to try and add a goal when you need one and maybe he'll get on the top power play which isn't even for sure but Hoffman wasn't someone I was ready to invest much in this year and being in Montreal actually makes me more reluctant to expect huge things from him so I wouldn't say that uh, 30 goals and 55 points is something I'd expect I'd say that's the high end of what I'd expect I'd say that's at most what I'd expect and I'm more realistically thinking he's gonna land around 45 points give or take five okay I think I agree with you there I would not be too excited to draft Hoffman unless he falls uh, pretty far in my draft but who knows I guess we'll see how he does obviously Tyler Toffoli did a nice job when he moved to Montreal so we'll see if Hoffman can sort of get a similar role there Uh, then some other moves that they made uh, minor things that hopefully help like I guess their other big signing is getting David Savard for four years 14 million might be a bit of an overpay for this guy (laughs) you know obviously I think all these players who come from Tampa end up you know seeming like they're worth a little bit more because they just won a Stanley cup so i don't know obviously i don't think david savard is going to replace shea weber especially not his fantasy production but hopefully he's a helpful player on the blue line they also signed matthew perot a former keeping carlson favorite uh, cedric paquette chris weidman extended army on lekkonen but that's pretty much it for montreal yeah i think so and before we move on just to be clear because you mentioned the logan mayu pick and i just if you follow us on twitter you'll know how i felt about it and i, I think the only comment i want to make before we move on is just that you know, the Canadians did something that I think is was indefensible. And now it's turned into a PR game where it's going to try and be massaged into something defensible and maybe something positive at the end of the day. Don't buy it. It was not something they should have done. Uh, it was like a, 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 a indefensible. It stays that way, no matter how the story plays out from here. And it was really, really disappointing. I was shocked. Like I was following the draft live when it happened and it was a real big bummer. So let's hope that teams and the league do better from here on out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's stay in Canada and go to Toronto now, who have, you know, also not had the most exciting offseason, but, you know, some significant things here. Obviously, there was this whole acquiring Jared McCann from the Pens and then losing McCann to expansion, and then people, like, lost their minds on Twitter, like, Dubas, what an idiot, McCann's so good. Like, I don't know, like, the way I see it, is at the end of the day, they traded Hollander and a seventh to avoid losing anyone to Seattle, which doesn't seem like a bad piece of business. Like Obviously, it's possible that they could have kept McCann, so maybe it was a mistake to not uh, you know, follow up in part two of that strategy being to keep Jared McCann, but I guess they wanted to keep Justin Hall, who, uh, I don't know, maybe it's harder to find a second-pairing defenseman. Anyways, so that happened. Uh, in the end, it's like a net nothing, so we don't really need to dig into the fantasy impact of losing Jared McCann. They did lose Zach Hyman to UFA as he went to Edmonton, so that's a big piece gone, and they've brought in a lot of forwards. Maybe one of them can potentially get some Hyman-esque deployment and maybe produce somewhat like Zach Hyman did, so we'll see. So here are some of the players they brought in. Michael Bunting, signed up to a two-year 950k contract, perfect type of guy you want to bring in at almost the league minimum. Uh, 13 points in 21 games with Arizona 
Arizona last year for a 51-point pace, still only 25 years old. So I'm honestly surprised he couldn't get a little bit more money after that strong season last year. But potentially he could walk into a really nice deployment and then try to earn himself a raise after these two years. Uh, they also got Nick Ritchie from Boston for two years, $2.5 million per year. Uh, so Ritchie had 26 points in 56 games last year with the Bruins for 38-point pace. But really it was a tale of two seasons. He was like super hot to start the year. He was getting great deployment. He was on the top power play. Then he completely fell off. Uh, both his deployment and his production ended the season like not being fantasy relevant at all. Uh, the Leafs signed Andre Kasha to a one-year $1.25 million deal. Another player from the Bruins, Richie and Kasha, both go from Boston to Toronto. So, Brian, who do you think is going to play more games next year? Kasha or Auntie Ranta in Carolina? I don't know. That's the thought. Like, I, Kasha, just like, I know you like him. Guy never plays. I know. I know. He's never healthy. And it's a real big bummer because he started his career looking like somebody who had the potential to be a huge scorer, do a lot of damage, put a lot of pucks on net. But he just got shaken up early in his career with several head injuries and just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And when he is healthy, it doesn't seem... It seems tentative. It doesn't seem like he's ready to play the same game he once did. And man, I can't blame him. So it'd be great if Kasha was healthy in Toronto. I I think the the signings Toronto made are all great value attempts. And if just one of those three pans out, I think they'll have gotten bang for their buck. They're buying three kind of weighted lotto tickets. Bunting, by the way, is someone we shouldn't look past, even though he's the least known name on this list and maybe the most boring. But Bunting had 68 points in his last 74 AHL games, where he's slowly risen the ranks of scoring over four seasons and change with Tucson before coming in and making an impression in the NHL. And then Nick Ritchie has this potential. I think Ritchie and Bunting are probably the more Hyman type replacements. Uh, like the ones who can step into him, his spot. And then Kasha seems like the guy they could, the, the Leafs could try moving into the Mikhaev Galchenyuk spot, um, you, you know, in the top six. It seems like there's room for two of these guys in the top six. One of them's going to be the odd one out. I, I think it could be either one. Also, I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. Keep an eye on Josh Hosang, who's about to get a fresh start with the Leafs after some reasonably productive time in the HL. And just remember that Hosang never really got a fresh start the first time around. Remember, because he slept in and missed practice or something. This was with the Islanders three years ago, and he's been buried ever since. So we talked on the, on a recent episode about guys who get so many chances in the league and guys who never even get one. I'm interested to see what Hosang can do now that he might have a fresh look. Yeah. I mean, worth a shot, right? They're getting him on a PTO contract, and we'll see if he can make the team. Obviously, the Leafs have room for guys making league minimum contracts because they're spending so much money on their top players. Also, obviously, watch out for Nick Robertson, who maybe will be ready to take the leap to the NHL after having 16 points in 21 AHL games last year with the Marlies. Also, one other player they signed is David Kampf, who is not fantasy relevant at all, unless your league counts faceoffs. He's good for faceoffs. So there you go. He'll be a bottom six center there. Uh, okay, and then obviously the other big change for the Leafs was in net, where they lost Frederick Anderson and gained Petr Mrazek. So basically a trade with Carolina swapping injury-prone goalies. So Mrazek comes to the Leafs on a three-year contract, $3.8 million per year. Mrazek didn't play much last season, but he was good when he played. He had a 9.23 save percentage in his 12 games. He had injury troubles just like Anderson, like I said. Obviously now Mrazek joins Jack Campbell, who has one year left on his contract. Campbell was great last year, 9.21 save percentage in his 22 games with like almost no rest. Like That's the kind of thing you have to keep in mind. I feel like 
maybe one flaw just looking at a goalie's save percentage is it's a lot harder probably to put up really strong numbers when you're playing day in day out and that was basically the case for Jack Campbell so I'm really excited to see what kind of season Campbell can have now with uh, backup since Anderson was injured for all of last year so hopefully Morazic is healthy and Brian do you think this is a tandem I don't know I kind of still see it as uh, Jack Campbell as the starter and Morazic as the backup but I think there's definitely an argument to be made that it'll just be a 50-50 thing and someone has to earn the spot I really believe in Jack Campbell I'm just gonna throw it out there I think if he's rested a little bit more I think he can put up really strong numbers. I'm with you. I'd expect a tandem in Toronto, but also think the Leafs would be just fine and happy if Jack Campbell stepped up to run with the job. I think Campbell and Morazic are essentially insurance for one another as both guys who tend to get injured. Uh, hopefully they're not both injured at the same time. I actually, you know, when we were talking about the Ranta and who's, who's Ranta playing with? Uh, Frederick Anderson. Oh, and Anderson tandem. We look to see who the next guy on the depth chart was there and it's Alex Lyon. Do we know who the next guy on the depth chart in Toronto is that might be seeing some games this year? Isn't it always Michael Hutchinson? <laughs> I mean, it is and it isn't. I think there's been an on-off moment, but yeah, Michael Hutchinson is signed for one more year. So it is possible that we have some more Michael Hutchinson time. No. We've also got Joseph Wall, who's 23 years old. Uh, maybe he gets a look at some point. I don't know. Just be ready to potentially find some deep value in the Leafs crease if both Campbell and Raza get injured, which isn't the most unlikely scenario. But if I had to bet on one guy to play more games, it would be Jack Campbell. Yeah, I think this could be another good tandem to draft, kind of like we were talking about uh, earlier, I guess also with Carolina and also with one of these teams we were just talking about somewhat recently. Who was it? Boston, right? With Allmark and uh, Swayman. I could see like Campbell or Morazic earning the job either because they play better or because someone gets injured. And so you draft a tandem and you end up with a starting goalie on a really good team. I think this is going to be the latest you'll be able to draft a Leafs goalie in fantasy in a long time. So that's an opportunity potentially because I think they're still going to be a really good team next year. All right. So let's go now to Tampa Bay. Obviously, they have mainly subtractions from their team in their quest to become cap compliant so they lost Yanni Gourd to Seattle they lost Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau to unrestricted free agency they traded Tyler Johnson and a pick to Chicago for Brent Seabrook who will go right to the LTIR and who do they got to replace all these guys well we've got uh, Corey Perry coming on a two-year, $1 million per year contract. They've got Pierre-Edouard Bellamare, also coming on a two-year, $1 million per year contract. They've signed Brian Elliott to take over for Curtis McElhenney as Vasilevsky's backup. And then I guess that's it. Like, I guess the real, the biggest offseason move they made was extending Braden Point for eight years at $9.5 million per year. But Brian, are there any players on your radar that you could see stepping in to fill the voids from Gourd, Tyler Johnson, Coleman, and Goudreau? I don't know if it's necessarily going to be one of the guys that they signed i'll throw out my first guess so this is my cheat as being the host as i get to steal your thunder uh but the guy that jumps out to me is alex barre boulet who just got a three-year elc again which is weird so he signed for another three years at just 758k so lucky for tampa because this guy seems like he's good he had 12 points in 10 ahl games last season 56 points in 60 ahl games the year before so this is a guy who's been a point per game guy in the minors he got some top six deployment in his cup of coffee with the team last year all of a sudden there's a lot of opportunity opening up so i'm very curious to see what alex barre boulet will do i think he's someone i might draft at the very end of my drafts depending on obviously on what we see during training camp before i answer i just want to rewind back to your question where you said is anyone on your radar that could fill in the void from yanni gourd tyler johnson blake coleman and barkley goodrow how many of these guys did anyone have on their fantasy rosters last season on a consistent basis. Yanni Gord was the closest to being rosterable, but even if someone does step into that role, the upside 
isn't huge. You know, think of what we saw from Gord in recent years. He had these runs of relevance, but was largely a free agent in standard formats. Uh, the Tampa top six is still full up. If I was to pick somebody, yeah, I'd look at Alex Barry Boulay, who maybe should have a word with his agent or someone who can advise him on how to have a word with his agent. Like this is a year where he's going to step into a new role and he signed for the league minimum for three years. It's bizarre. Uh, very team friendly. I, I'm not sure exactly what else is behind that, but uh, I mean, good for Tampa and hopefully good for him. He'll get the opportunity. He'll be valuable to the team on such a cheap contract and get lots of chances to prove himself and hopefully cash in as much as he deserves to cash in. I'll also just say, I guess, keep an eye out for Anthony Sorelli. He played with Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn last year. Maybe he played with, with Steven Stamkos and Alex Kalorn this year. And then my other Tampa note is just remember to put Andre Palat back down the 50 or 55 points because he's not going to have that power play one role where he picked up all those extra points because Kucherov was out. In fact, I'm going to call the shot here, Elon. I'm going to suggest that Andre Palat is going to be one of the most auto-drafted guys this season. Hmm. Interesting. The thing is like Palat could be on the top power play, right? Like Kucherov, Stamkos, Point. Then you have another forward that could Killorn. be Killorn. It doesn't have to. I mean, Killorn's been yeah, there and he's be not Kill- been there. No, he's been really good playing the role he plays. He's the net front guy there. He goes and retrieves the pucks and stands in front of the net, puts away garbage. He's, yeah, I mean, he's got a lock on that role. That is not wow. a role for Andre Palat to play. Do you want to make, bet board that? Like the Palat and Killorn have been on this Tampa Bay team for a long time. Okay. There's been long stretches with Killorn on the top power play. And there's been long stretches with Killorn off the top okay. power play. So you want to bet board who sees more total power play time between Palat no. and Killorn? No, let's make it a better bet for me. Like you're saying Killorn is a lock. I'm saying I just want to bet that Alice Killorn will have a six game stretch where oh. he's not on the top oh, power play. That can play. definitely happen. Okay, so it's not a lock. Okay. Thank you. Argument <laughs> one. Let's go now to Ottawa and talk you about it. You didn't even pick up on the interesting part that I said, which is that Andre Palat, because he's going to be ranked so highly because his point totals from last year, but won't have the same opportunity this year, that he's going to be one of the most auto-drafted players. Yeah, no, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Like, he could still be valuable. Like, he's probably still going to be playing with Kucherov and Point, which would be a pretty sweet line, and we'll see. I'm not saying he won't be valuable. I'm saying he's going to be one of the most auto-drafted players. Okay, so we'll see. What, what do you want me to say to this? I, oh, uh, yeah, do you good agree point. or disagree? I don't know, probably not. But uh, okay. there's probably someone else. Maybe Shea Weber will be more auto-drafted than he's Andre Palat. pretty low on draft list, though. Okay, I don't know. I guess I'd have to look into it. Uh, that's a good point. Maybe, maybe that will be the case. Thanks. Palat had, uh, yeah, 46 points in 55 games last year for a 69-point pace. But in the playoffs with Kucherov back, he only had 13 points in 23 games. So obviously a dip that we are also expecting. Like, I don't disagree. I don't know but I don't know how to like, judge if he's going to be the most auto-drafted. Maybe I haven't thought about it. Okay. Who else could be? Who was uh, in the running? Sorry to put you on the spot. I don't know. He's just a name that jumps out to me. It, also, you're going to know it's your drafts, like especially if you're playing with casuals. Like someone's going to pick Palat because they're just going through the the list of top scores from last year. Maybe Jack Eichel will be if uh, he's not, you know, playing at that point. I don't know. Okay. okay. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Who's going to be the most auto drafted player? Will it be Palat or the field? Okay. So let's end in <laughs> Ottawa. Not much going on here. Uh, they lost Joey Decord to Seattle after protecting Philip Gustafson. 
I guess the assumption is that Matt Murray is going to start next season as the starter until he struggles and or gets injured. And then I'd assume, I guess, uh, this Philip Gustafson will get a run. And why not? He was good. He only played nine games last year with the Sens, but he had a 9.33 save percentage in those games, as opposed to Matt Murray, who played 27 games and had an 8.93 save percentage. Murray, by the way, has three years left on a $6.25 million contract. Uh, so that was a smart signing. Uh, and yeah, that's the Sens story. Oh, and they traded Dadanov to Vegas for Nick Holden in a 2022 third round pick. Any thoughts on either Joey Decord leaving or Evgeny Dadanov leaving in terms of fantasy impact for next year? Not really. With Dadanov leaving, it's not like there's a ton of, look at what Dadanov did in his spot, right? He had a lot of opportunity. You think maybe someone can step in, get the same opportunity and do better? Sure. But I think there's still a pretty uh, low ceiling on exactly how high an Ottawa Senator can score, especially if they're not named uh, Kachuk, Norris Batherson, or Stutzla. Keep an eye on Alex Formanton, maybe Shane Pinto. Uh, if I want to go deeper, Nick Paul, Colin White, Logan Brown. But I can always name a bunch of guys on Ottawa who we think we haven't seen get a full opportunity yet. Just keep an eye on training camp and see what the depth chart looks like. But playing away from, if it is a Batherson, Kachuk, Norris line, and if you're not Tim Stutzla, I'd be uh, not that interested in having you on my fantasy team. Okay, and that's the sense. And this is another team that, like Detroit, I think they're going to be better next year, but probably still not that contender. And I think their best bet is to have Matt Murray not play many games. That's my personal opinion. Uh, so that takes us to the end of the Atlantic Division. This has been a blast, Brian, going through all of these teams. I'm sorry I no-sold your Palat comment. I think it was really smart. And thank you so much also to everyone who listened to the show. We hope you've been enjoying this little four-part series that this is part three of, going through all of the fantasy implications of all the off-season movement for all the teams and all the divisions in the league. Uh, let us know what you thought. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We love to hear from our listeners, even just to know you're out there. Say hello. Uh, if you want to check out our Patreon program, things are going to start buzzing very soon. We've already started buzzing a little bit, but we're going to keep going bzz, 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 as the season starts to approach. So keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Get in on, on our community. Get in for the couple, which we're going to be announcing very soon as registration is going to start. And uh, with that, Brian, I think I'm done here. So let's cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. It was uh, researched with help from... Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge, and Logo Art by BrandonWeave.com. Outro music from Pat Roach. Wow, you changed the order there. I like it. So, it blew, blew my mind. Okay, great talking to you, Brian. Looking forward to talking to you about the Central Division in just a minute. And the people listening to this podcast, you'll probably hear that Central Division episode very soon. So make sure you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe, and we will talk to you soon. Until then, remember, no matter who the Montreal Canadiens draft, fantasy hockey is for everyone.